Well, I want to welcome everyone tonight, and I know we've got some some guests. Uh, great to see you. Thanks for coming out, and uh, really looking forward to getting back in the swing of things. I want to thank you all for your prayers uh, for my family last week. We really appreciate it. Got a lot of encouraging uh, cards and emails and texts and calls, and it's just so great to have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to walk through those valleys with, and so we really appreciate that. Um, and I uh, want to thank you for your patience, too, as we had to delay and not have our regular Wednesday service last week. But, um, uh, you know, a lot's happened in the last two weeks, and so we got a lot of ground to cover. And as you see on the screen, our topic uh, for this session, which is part four of the What in the World is Going On series, is going to be, uh, broadly speaking, Agenda 2030 and the Luciferian Timetable. And uh, before we begin, I just want to make a couple of quick reminders. First of all, uh, one of the things I learned uh, because we had to cancel last week due to the death in my family uh, was not everybody is signed up for the Not By Works newsletter. So be sure you go uh, to notbyworks.org right there on the homepage. Scroll down to the bottom. There's a box for you to put your email in. And the reason that's important is that way you can stay alerted to uh, when we have special announcements, when we post new videos and new podcasts and new resources, they're all available. And it's just a good way to stay connected uh, to our ministry. We don't send a lot of emails. Uh, sometimes we'll go even a week without one, but typically one or two a week, just mainly informative and giving you resources. But the reason that's important is I probably had, without exaggeration, 15 or 20 emails or posts on some of our video channels like Rumble and whatnot from people uh, Thursday of last week saying, what, what happened to part four? We were waiting for part four. Where is it? What's going on? You know, and I, I responded to each one of them graciously and said, oh, I'm so glad you were you know, watching this. Sorry for the disappointment. I explained what happened. But uh, we have over 2,000 people on our newsletter list. And so the vast majority certainly were alerted to the fact that we weren't meeting last week. But excited to get back into the the flow of things uh, this week. So tonight I want to do four things. Uh, if you remember two weeks ago in part three, I had nine things that I tried to cover. I did cover, and uh, but this time I'm going to limit it to four. First of all, I want to review some of the salient points from the first three uh, sessions very quickly because we are building a case here. These, these sessions, even though they kind of stand alone, they are all making the case for the Luciferian conspiracy and what Satan and his human counterparts are trying to do to usher in the one world uh, global system and so forth. And it's just helpful, especially since we haven't met for a couple of weeks, to kind of keep things uh, in uh, context and build some continuity. So we're going to review. Secondly, then I'm going to provide an update on uh, some of the things and developments in the last two weeks that, that relate to what we've been talking about and what we are going to talk about. And then thirdly, we'll get into the UN Agenda 2030. I'll explain what that is and how that is essentially a blueprint, blueprint sorry, for the rollout of the New World Order. And then lastly, I'm going to address uh, the timetable, and I'm going to do that in two segments. I'm going to briefly tell you what the Luciferians are saying in their own words, and then I'm going to kind of give you some speculation, and I'm going to tell you that's what it is right up front, but I'm going to kind of make some suggestions on some things that I see coming. Uh, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, and I don't believe in setting dates, but uh, I do think uh, 
we are instructed by the Lord himself to, you know, watch for the signs of the times. And, and so I'm going to do my best to kind of see what I think is happening. And by the way, I have a lot of people that over the years I have uh, really connected with and research with and call on and bounce ideas off of and they me. And so um, this is not just something I'm picking out of thin air. It is uh, sort of an educated speculation, if you want to, if you want to call it that. And uh, some of the people that I bounce ideas off are right here in this room. So uh, hopefully, if we have time for questions, they can kind of weigh in on some of their thoughts as well. So I do want to begin tonight with some scripture, and these are some passages that over the last week or so have uh, uh, really come to my mind as I've been studying. First of all, it's a good reminder from Proverbs that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. We sometimes get depressed and discouraged thinking that there's so much evil that's going on in the world unchecked. You know, we might think, where's God? Well, he's there and he's watching and he's keeping a close eye. And don't ever forget that. And in our Sunday morning at nine o'clock Bible study on what lies ahead, we're talking about how Ultimately, God's plan involves vengeance, His wrath being poured out upon the sinfulness of the world, and then ultimately making all things new when Christ comes back and takes the throne. So uh, then I thought of Proverbs 16, verse 4. The Lord has made all for Himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. So as these Luciferians are hard at work trying to usher in this global satanic one-world system, they, they just need to be reminded, and we're doing our best to remind them of that through this series, that uh, they're not going to win. God is going to win. He already has won the victory. And uh, in His sovereignty, He's just waiting uh, for the right time, not willing that any should perish. But at some point, the long arm of God's mercy will run out. And hallelujah, hopefully it's soon. Hopefully it's in our Day. I mean, not hopefully for those who don't know the Lord, but hopefully for those of us who long for His return and long for the blessed hope and long for the kingdom age when uh, there's perfect peace and righteousness and justice. And uh, we say, come Lord Jesus. Also in Proverbs, the evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. Do you realize that someday when Christ comes back to take the throne, we believers from the church age will be coming back with Him uh, to help rule and reign in the kingdom. And Jesus told the disciples during His earthly ministry that they would reign on 12 thrones with Him. And we're reminded again and again that we too, if we're faithful and, and serve with a pure heart during this present age, will reign with Him in certain capacities of leadership and government in the earthly kingdom. And so um, someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess, as Paul said, and Proverbs reminds us of the same thing. Uh, some of the verses we've looked at before, we need to remember that uh, in the last days, perilous times will come. We talked about in session one how the last days in Scripture is a technical term referring to the present church age. And so uh, perilous times will come, we were told. Uh, Paul wrote 2 Timothy in 67 AD, so that's not quite 2,000 years ago. And uh, uh, it's no doubt that things have been getting worse and worse, as he also said in that same letter. But I really think we are heavy into those perilous, perilous times. In that same letter, he says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and turn their ears away from the truth. 
being turned aside to fables. That's true not only in the church, sadly, but it's also true globally. As deception gets worse and worse, truth is turned on its head, and truth is now a construct of power rather than an absolute. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. In 1 Timothy, Paul's first letter uh, to Timothy, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I've been so uh, discouraged, frankly, and, and almost to the point of anger, which I know is, is not of the Lord unless it's righteous indignation. Maybe there's a little bit of that in there, but I, I feel like mostly it's just the flesh. Uh, at believers who uh, don't get it, who don't see what's happening right before our very eyes, who are drinking the Kool-Aid, buying the narrative, whatever a metaphor you want to use. And, and especially after part three in this series, which if you watch only one other session before, if this is your first time to watch this series uh, tonight, uh, and you only watch one other one, watch part three. Because uh, more than any others in this series so far, that one engendered a lot of uh, criticism, critical emails from other believers, uh, calling me insensitive, calling me, uh, um, what one of them said, uh, I was discrediting the gospel by uh, teaching about these conspiracy theories, you know, uh, and I've uh, been called a liar. Um, so, uh, and I just, it breaks my heart and also angers me a little bit when it's just so obvious. It's just so obvious. Um, uh, in that same verse, speaking lies in hypocrisy. So see the reference there twice to deception, deceiving spirits, and he says doctrines of demons. We know demons are uh, at the, uh, under the control of Satan. So Satan was a demon, is a demon. Satan was an angel who fell. One-third of the angels fell with him. They're all demons constituting the unseen uh, enemy in the spiritual realm, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. And so by his nature, Satan, Jesus tells us, is a liar. Everything he says is a lie. He cannot even speak anything without lying. And that's kind of the way I feel about some of the Luciferian uh, elite today. It seems like every single thing they say is a, is a lie, and they turn it on their head. Um, but then you see how uh, also in these latter days we will see people speaking lies in hypocrisy. Uh, so we'll come back and talk more about this. So don't have a whole lot of other scriptures sprinkled throughout a, a little bit here and there, but mainly just wanted to lay that foundation again. Uh, part one of this series I spent the, the first half of it at least, the first 45, 30 to 45 minutes, laying the biblical foundation for where we are at. So let's start with a review. And uh, I mentioned there will be four parts. This is part one. So very briefly, we started out by looking at the great satanic reset. And I've said for many years now, and I especially covered this uh, last fall in my Spirit of the Antichrist series, that 18-part uh, series, but I've said that when the time comes for the Antichrist to be revealed, he isn't going to appear on the world stage and then try to build the new world order. The new world order will already be prepared and ready to go for his arrival so that when he takes the helm as the leader of the world, he will have immediate control of a unified planet. So the stage is being set for that. Now we know Biblically, and, and we've talked about this elsewhere, so I'll try not to digress too much, but we, we know biblically that the bride of Christ, the church, will be rescued prior to the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year tribulation period. But that by no means uh, it should indicate that we're going to be able to be rescued before things get tough. Uh, things are already tough. They're getting tougher. And for many people in the world for the last 2,000 years, they've been horrific. 
So just because we in America have been sheltered and blessed and not had to face some of the persecution and martyrdom that so many of our brothers and sisters in the faith have faced doesn't mean that we won't still have to face that. And so we're not suggesting that we're going to be rescued before we have to suffer, but we do know we will be rescued before the Antichrist takes control of the one world system. But that doesn't mean that we won't already be in one by then. And if the Lord tarries us coming, it's almost certain at this point that in our lifetime, looking around at everyone in this room, if the Lord tarries us coming, we're almost certain to be living in a one world system. Now, I don't know that, you know, that's my guess. I can't say that with absolute certainty. But I feel like that's most likely the case. You know, one expert on the Luciferian plan to take over the world that I've studied and read for 15 years or more now has described this gradual march uh, literally over the last several hundred years. Ultimately, it goes back 6,000 years to the garden, but in the modern days, particularly in the last couple of hundred years, um, since the, the New World, um, uh, he describes that gradual march to a, toward a satanic one-world government as a totalitarian tiptoe. And I've always liked that phrase, but I really think given the events of the past 18 months and the exponential increase in the rate of advancement toward their goal, a better description for what is happening is more like a tyrannical trampling. It is coming fast. Now, I talked about uh, in session one how we are teetering on the brink of a return to a globalist system in God's plan of the ages. I won't go back and rehash that, but uh, we laid the foundation according to God's plan starting from Genesis 4 that it starts out with a globalist one-world system. And then it, we have after the flood the table of nations and the nationalistic system, which is where we're living today. And that's part of God's plan, and we should fight for national sovereignty. We should never never surrender that and, uh, until Christ comes back, frankly. Uh, but prior to Christ coming back, the one-world globalist system will return under a satanic regime. And we talked about how right now, uh, in the driver's seat, if you will, of that quest for globalism is Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. And uh, the World Economic Forum and the United Nations have signed a partnership agreement to accelerate the 2030 agenda. And they're really two peas in a pod. So when we talk about the 2030 agenda, the UN 2030 agenda, which we're going to get to in a moment, uh, and the World Economic Forum, they're really working hand uh, in glove. And uh, we talked about how the World Economic Forum, in partnership with groups like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, has set forth the Great Reset. Um, and uh, this did not come about as a reaction to COVID. It was already part of their plan, a reset. And what they did is after they rolled out the pre-planned COVID-19 pandemic, uh, they then went under their website and changed a lot of the terms. And they and Klaus Schwab wrote, uh, you know, his book, COVID-19: The Great Reset, because they recognize and because they're the ones that rolled it out, that the Great Reset essentially amounted to the Luciferian endgame. This was this was their opportunity to kind of really march forward. And and if you think about all that's happened in the last 18 months, it's it's really hard to fathom how quickly uh, things have changed. Now, to show you, I'm going to give you a couple of new things here in the midst of this uh, review, just how uh, so many world leaders in every major country are knee-deep in, in this uh, conspiracy with Klaus Schwab and his Luciferian counterparts. Uh, I wanted to show you this clip uh, from uh, the Netherlands in their parliament, or whatever they call their government, but this is a, a government official 
and he's speaking to their prime minister. And maybe you've seen this. It's uh, uh, not in English, but it's subtitled, so you'll have to watch. Uh, but it really is a powerful moment when uh, one of the world leaders, in this case the leader of the Netherlands, is confronted and caught in a lie. Mensen zien dat het een grote leugen is dat het huidige coronabeleid ertoe dient om onze volksgezondheid te beschermen. Maar dat roept natuurlijk wel de vraag op waarom dan al die afschuwelijke maatregelen worden getroffen die onze hele manier van leven, onze hele samenleving kapot maken. Nu zijn er een aantal invloedrijke globalisten die naar eigen zeggen de coronacrisis zien als een enorme kans om onze wereld te resetten en dus een pervers belang hebben om deze crisis nog even voor te laten duren. En een van deze globalisten is de heer Klaus Schwab, oprichter en voorzitter van het World Economic Forum. En hij heeft ook een boek geschreven met als pakkende titel COVID-19, The Great Reset. En mijn vraag aan de demissionair minister-president is hoe beoordeelt hij de inhoud van dit boek? De minister-president. Ik ken het boek niet, voorzitter. Maar ik zou hier van mede willen adviseren om niet al te veel in al die conspiratietheorieën. hoor. Ik, ik kijk ze ook allemaal op YouTube. Ik vind dat fascinerend hoe dan uitgelegd wordt dat nou, die level niet heeft plaatsgevonden of dat het allemaal anders zit. Het zet het map in elkaar gezet, maar het is meestal wat het is, een conspiratietheorie. Heer Van Heren. Nou, het verbaast mij dat de eerste vraag die ik aan de heer Rutte stel sinds ik beëdigd ben als Kamerlid direct nou, heb beantwoord. Dank u wel, maar het... Het verbaast mij dat die eerste vraag direct wordt beantwoord met een leugen. Ik heb namelijk een brief in mijn hand die dateert van 26 november 2020. En dat is een brief van de heer Rutte aan de heer Klaus Schwab, waarin hij de heer Schwab bedankt voor het toezenden van zijn boek. En dit noemt een hoopvolle analyse voor een betere toekomst. Zou de heer Rutte nog even kunnen graven in zijn geheugen? Het is nog geen half jaar geleden, dus ik weet niet hoe lang uw herinneringen actief blijven. Maar waarschijnlijk is dit nog wel ergens op te graven. En mijn eerste vraag opnieuw te beantwoorden en nu eerlijk, alsjeblieft. Nou, het eerlijke antwoord is dat dat een, een, een nette brief is. Waarin je uh, helaas niet alle boeken die je toegestuurd krijgt van kast tot kast kunt lezen. Maar wel degene die je toestuurt, uh, vriendelijk brief wil terugsturen. Nou, dan zegt de heer Rutte dus eigenlijk dat hij niet heeft gelogen tegen mij, maar tegen de heer Klaus Schwab. <lacht> Classic, classic gotcha moment. Um, but uh, you're seeing, if you're paying attention, reference after reference after reference from world leaders, key leaders, not even necessarily top-level government officials, but key players in this Luciferian uh, conspiracy tip their hand from time to time. Here's a little uh, short clip. It's only 38 seconds, but it's a montage of what you might wonder, are these Freudian slips, or, or what are these people really uh, saying here? People, 70 years of age and older, we know they are just so vulnerable to getting ill and dying from this vaccine, and from this vaccine, and from this vaccine. This is a world pandemic. It's a 100-year event. So you can expect that we will have transmission uh, from time to time, and that's just the way it is. We've got to accept that this is the new world order. We've got to accept that this is the new world order. We've got to accept that this is the new world order. It is uh, both a safe place and a dangerous place. We must treat this uh, new world order, uh, new world order, uh, new world order, near this new world of COVID. New world order, I mean new world of COVID. See, they've been talking about the new world order since the boats came over from Great Britain. Why do you think they called it the new world? 
See, this is what the Freemasons, the Illuminati, the bloodlines of the Luciferians going way back wanted was to establish a new beachhead in their satanically orchestrated new world. And um, so, again, as a reminder from session one, we talked about how we showed you know, a video from the World Economic Forum in which they had eight points, the first of which was you will own nothing and you'll be happy about it. They're looking for a new normal. Uh, not new to them. They've been planning and orchestrating it uh, for hundreds of years, at least the last couple of hundred years. Um, but uh, it's new to us. Uh, they call it a, a new normal, a new deal for nature, or the fourth industrial revolution, which was another book that uh, Klaus Schwab wrote. Then in the second video, we talked about how uh, the depopulation agenda is part of this great satanic reset. Once again, uh, we spent a lot of time in Scripture and showed how uh, Satan loves death. Uh, he brought death into the world when he tempted Adam and Eve. Um, uh, he, Jesus calls him in John 8 a murderer from the beginning. And um, uh, God is life. Satan is death. And they, the, his human co-conspirators thrive with a bloodlust toward death. They want to kill uh, people, and they are on record in a variety of places, and I've talked about this elsewhere, um, so I won't take the time to re-show all those slides, but they, have, they are on record in a, you know, tons of places talking about wanting to reduce the world's population by as much as 95%. They want to get it down to 500 million in some cases, they say. Um, they consider this earth their playground, and all of us useless breathers are just getting in the way. And so, naturally, this great reset has many components that are, you know, part of a depopulation or eugenics program. I showed in part two the uh, one of the propaganda pieces from the World Economic Forum, uh, in which they say the problem with the Earth is that we have too many humans. You know, we showed several iterations of this. I gave. Uh, more than a dozen quotes. Let me just highlight a couple of them here. This is Barack Obama's uh, former science advisor, John Holden, who said a program of sterilizing women after their second or third child, despite the relatively greater difficulty of the operation than a vasectomy, might be easier to implement than trying to sterilize men. He said the development of a long-term sterilizing capsule that could be implanted under the skin and removed when pregnancy is desired opens additional possibilities for coercive fertility control. The capsule uh, could be implanted at puberty and might be removable with official permission for a limited number of births. And of course, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, said all of our problems are a result of overbreeding among the working class, you know, the feeble-minded, they called it. Uh, the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Well, she lived out her dream, and it's still going strong, as we shall see in a little bit. And then uh, Sierra Club, David Brower, childbearing should be a punishable crime against society unless the parents hold a government license. All potential parents should be required to use contraceptive chemicals, the government issuing antidotes to citizens chosen for childbearing. So we made the clear connection between the Luciferian depopulation agenda and how that relates to this pre-planned COVID-19 pandemic. And I went through, I'm not going to rehash them here, but 16 incontrovertible proofs that the COVID-1984 pandemic, as I call it, is a pre-planned global agenda. 
And so you can go back, and, and yet still, even after 16, I mean, I could see if it was just one or two, you might be able to kind of, you know, jump your way around it and think, well, this maybe, maybe not, but 16 reasons that uh, are smoking guns, really, uh, that it was pre-planned. And then in our third session, we moved from there into real, now that we realize it was a pre-planned uh, agenda, how does that relate to the experimental uh, bioinjections? And so we started out by talking about how the globalists love to play God. We looked at the CRISPR technology and how uh, they, you know, use that, and even in their own words, to play God and to mess with the genome and to splice and dice and, and literally uh, play God. And we looked at several examples of that. And then we talked about how they are then using fear to get people to uh, go along with uh, this technology. And uh, we know this from several data points, most of which is the fact that the so-called scientific data that they're using to push the vaccine is patently false. As I showed, there are hundreds of thousands, literally, doctors around the world. I gave you examples of many of them that have met, that have stormed their capitals or their state houses. They've been banished. They've been, you know, silenced and censored. Um, but if, you, if you're paying attention, you know that they're gaining ground and they're, this is not just some weird guy sitting in his living room making some conspiracy videos. This is literally hundreds of thousands of doctors, pediatricians, surgeons, scientists, virologists, you name it, that are on record saying this, this thing stinks to high heaven. But the biggest smoking gun was when in uh, July 25th of last year, the CDC very quietly, only a few places covered it. It was buried on a layered page on the Fox News website. Uh, the news that the PCR test, which was the basis for the entire COVID pandemic, the only way we knew there was a pandemic was because of either A, they were not testing people, but the CDC said you can declare someone has COVID based on the symptoms, and there was a lot of that going on. And they were incentivized, they were paid to do that. So in other words, if someone comes in with flu-like symptoms, came in with flu-like symptoms during the early days of this pandemic, they were able to write down it was pandemic, and they, that, that became another notch in the ticker that was on every major news thing just rolling like that. Oh, we're up to 10,000, 20,000, 100,000, 10 million, you know. So that was one way they counted it, but the other way was through this PCR test where they would stick a Q-tip up your nose and then run it through the lab. Well, the CDC finally admitted what many people have said from way back in the beginning, that that test was 90% false positive. It doesn't work. It cannot distinguish. Here's the CDC's own words, by the way, from the CDC website. It cannot distinguish between the flu and the PCR test. And they, by the end of this year, are requiring that no labs use it anymore. And yet it's still being used today. That's the amazing thing. I get, you know, emails. People will say, well, my, you know, my mother or grandmother, whoever, was tested and they had COVID. And I say, well, how do you know? Well, they tested her. Well, how do you know? I mean, can you show me a lab report? Is there something in the white or red blood cells? Is there something empirical that you can tell me they have COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus? Or is it because of a admittedly failed test that does not work? Or is it just based on observation? They say, yep, you've got COVID. I mean, we all heard the stories. I know people that went in with flu-like symptoms. They said, yep, you've got COVID. And then when they were filling out the card, they said, do you have any, uh, you have any kids at home? Uh, yeah, I got three kids uh, and a wife. Oh, you three kids and a wife? Well, I'm going to put down five in number of COVID cases here. <laughs> Don't even see them. Never even came in. 
But see, five COVID cases means big bucks for that hospital. So they were, th these numbers were highly inflated. And as I've said many times, it was never about the virus. It's about the vaccine. We talked about how the vaccine was never approved. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to caution you that uh, I spent a lot of time on that because it, it's, it's just amazing that people would line up to take it knowing it was never approved. But don't fall into the trap of thinking once it's approved, it's okay. Um, because, you know, what, what's in these vaccines is diabolical and dangerous, and they are going to approve it. They're probably going to approve it within, before the end of the month. And, um, and when they do, there will be people who say, oh, well, it must be okay now. Uh, that was not the point of that whole section that we looked at. The FDA has long been merely a pawn in the hands of Big Pharma, as this article uh, from uh, the New York Times, all the paper that's fit to flush, back in 1977, said this was Dr. Herbert L. Lay, who lasted only less than two years as the FDA director. When he began to blow the whistle on what was going on there, they fired him, got rid of him in a hurry, and he said, quote, what the FDA is doing and what the public thinks it's doing are as different as night and day, and it has never changed in the 50 years since. So we talked about all of these vaccines are emergency use authorization and how uh, from the FDA's own website, how that process works normally is you have, you know, about 15 to 20 years worth of testing. And then once it passes the test, then they roll it out. Well, with this virus, what they did is they did the testing and the production at the same time. And we all became guinea pigs of this, uh, of this virus. We talked about how uh, it is a fact not in dispute that the COVID-19 vaccines, all three, use aborted babies in the vaccine. We know the cell lines. We know when the babies were, were aborted. We know how old they were. One was 18 months along. And we know, uh, you know whether they were male or female. Okay, this is well documented. And, uh, and yet, uh, you know, there are still people that somehow uh, don't understand and don't have a, have a problem with that. So we asked the question. I spent quite a bit of time in the Word last time making this case. Is it moral to use aborted babies to develop and manufacture COVID-19 vaccines? Is it moral to inject the cells of aborted babies into your body? And the biblical answer is an emphatic, unambiguous no. Uh, end of discussion. And yet it still goes on. We were all horrified uh, this week to learn this story out of the University of Pittsburgh. It was called Harvesting Body Parts from Babies Born Alive Left uh, to die. These were documents that were obtained uh, by the, uh, from the federal government by a FOIA request. And, um, uh, you know, on Tuesday, August 3rd, Judicial Watch uh, obtained 252 pages of new documents about the university's practices from the uh, Department of Health and Human Services. And um, it showed very clearly that the uh, government had given the University of Pittsburgh $2.7 million dollars over the past five years to become a tissue hub for aborted baby parts for scientific research. Then the next day, on August 4th, a University of Pittsburgh spokesman trying to defend this practice basically inadvertently let it be known uh, that uh, aborted babies' hearts were still beating while their kidneys were harvested for scientific research. And yet, you've got Christian leaders like Franklin Graham out there saying, come on, take the vaccine, take, there's nothing wrong with it. Remember, we looked at, in part three at Robert Jeffress suggesting that, you know, using uh, the, the body from the corpses of preborn babies, the body parts from preborn baby corpses, uh, was essentially akin to the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Something 
good came from something bad. So if we can create a vaccine to solve all the world's problems from an abortion, why not? Uh, and Christians, leaders all over the place are either paid or played, like this uh, Fox News female host. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, that's Beth Moore. She just looks like a Fox News female host. But anyway, uh, she uh, once again is berating Christians who refuse to get the vaccine. So uh, we talked about the, the actual data from the bioinjections and what happens with it. Here's a report from just this week from Children's Health Defense showing that reports of injuries and deaths after the COVID vaccines continue to climb steadily. This is the latest data from August 6th that just dropped yesterday. And uh, you'll notice that so far we have 12,791 deaths from the COVID vaccines. Not to mention, you know, 51,000 hospitalizations, 70,000 people in urgent care, 95,000 doctor's office visits, anaphylaxis, all kinds of uh, other problems, uh, things like miscarriages, which continues to go up. Two weeks ago when we looked at this data, it was around 1,200. There have now been 1,500 uh, miscarriages, heart attacks, permanently disabled, a lot of myocarditis, especially among young uh, teenage boys who get the vaccine. And so um, this, by the way, don't forget the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event, Re Event Reporting System, is governed by the CDC and FDA. It's a joint project of the FDA and the CDC. So these are their numbers, okay? These are not some other someone doing it privately or independently calling up doctors and saying, what do you think? These are the numbers that are reported to them. And we talked about how Harvard did a study and showed that the, over the years the numbers reported of errors are uh, probably represent only 1% of what's actually out there. Um, so then we've got Alex Berenson, famous uh, author, former reporter for the New York Times, but then he became a very prolific uh, novel writer, award-winning, and he's had several books, by the way, censored by Amazon because he's exposing, uh, for example, uh, the ineffectiveness of face masks and so forth. Uh, but on August 6th, so again, this is after our last session together, COVID vaccine maker Moderna received 300,000 reports. This is, he reported this on August 6th. 300,000 reports of side effects after vaccinations in just a three-month period. Uh, the 300,000 figure comes from an internal update provided by employees of IQVIA, which is a little-known but enormous company that helps drug makers manage their clinical trials. IQVIA is headquartered in North Carolina, has 74,000 employees worldwide, and an $11 billion sales uh, level last year. Well, earlier this week, Richard Staub, the president of IQVIA's Research and Development Solutions Division, sent a Q2 2021 report labeled confidential for internal distribution only. And a person with access to that presentation provided screenshots of the relevant slides, sent them to Alex Berenson, who then reported on it, 300,000 injuries in three months. So again, the, the 13,000 deaths, according to the CDC and FDA, is bad enough, but it is much, much worse than that. I mean, you could just look at a graph from the VAERS website itself, going back to 19... Uh, 90, so what's that, 30 years, showing the reported deaths from vaccines. Usually just a couple hundred from all vaccines put together. You get to 2020 and 21, it's like Mount Everest, straight up. In fact, uh, 
from the EU, the UK, and the USA, they all have similar, there's one that's just for the UK, then there's an EU one that includes only the countries that are part of the EU, and from the USA's VAERS system. So far, as of August 1st, there have been 34,000 official reported deaths, according to the official government. Some of you may know uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, who is highly decorated, unbelievable credentials. For the sake of time, I won't read them. You can get the sense of it just by looking at all the letters after his name. But this guy has, uh, has testified before Congress. He's a president of several organizations. He's the editor of several journals. He's a, uh, you know, a cardiologist. And he has said every single thing that was done in public health in response to the pandemic made it worse. Here's an interview from just a, a week or so ago. It's about three minutes, but he summarizes well the problem with these vaccines. Well, my uh, quick analysis is um, uh, I believe that we're under the application of a form of bioterrorism that's worldwide um, that appears to have been many years in the planning. And the, the first wave of the bioterrorism is a respiratory virus that uh, spread across the world and affected relatively few people, about 1% of, of many populations, but um, generated great fear. Uh, the virus was responsible for some deaths uh, in the very frail and elderly, um, but in, in you know otherwise well people, it was like having the common cold. But that fear uh, was used very quickly and I think surprisingly to generate um, tremendous influences in, in human life, at lockdowns, all the things you know about. And every single thing that was done in the public health response to the pandemic uh, made it worse. Uh, so over testing and um, uh, you know, even lockdowns probably made it worse because the virus uh, evolved over time to become more contagious. And so every single response uh, made it worse. How I got involved is as a doctor, uh, I thought the virus was going to be pretty easy to treat once we understood there were three phases, the viral replication, cytokine storm, and thrombosis. And so as I promulgated uh, early treatment, um, I, I started to meet resistance at all levels in terms of actually treating patients and then uh, publishing uh, papers. And so I'm the editor of two major, major journals. I'm in the business of publishing so fortunately, I had enough publication strength to uh, publish the, basically the only two papers in the entire medical literature that teaches doctors how to treat COVID-19 at home to prevent hospitalization and death. And we did the best we could without any funding or government support. And we demonstrated that, that it results in about an 85% reduction in hospitalization and death. So what we had discovered is that the suppression um, of early treatment was tightly linked to the development of a vaccine. And the entire um, program as this, uh, in a sense, bioterrorism phase one was rolled out, was really all about keeping the population um, uh, in fear and in isolation and preparing them to accept the vaccine, which appears to be phase two of a bioterrorism operation. Both the respiratory virus and the vaccine uh, delivered to the human body uh, the spike protein, the, the uh, gain-of-function target of this bioterrorism research. Now, I can't come out and say all that on national TV uh, today or any time, but what we had learned over time 
is that we could no longer communicate with government agencies. We actually couldn't even communicate with um, our propagandized colleagues in major medical centers, all of which appear to be under a spell, they, almost as if they're hypnotized right now. And uh, doctors, good doctors, are doing unthinkable things, like injecting biologically active messenger RNA that produces this pathogenic spike protein into pregnant women. Uh, I think when the doctors wake up from their trance, they're going to be shocked um, to, to think what they've done uh, to people. So that was during a, a Zoom interview that he did with, uh, and I, the, the guy's name escapes me, but he's a German lawyer. He's been all over the news lately. He's trying to create a defense over there in Europe where he's going to hold a lot, trying to hold a lot of these government officials that are pushing this thing accountable. And he, he envisions Nuremberg trials on the whole thing. I think he's a little optimistic at how formidable the enemy is, but uh, he's on the front lines uh, of it. So uh, so that's kind of just a quick review of the, uh, the vaccine and the dangers of it. And I wanted to let you know about a new resource that we have at notbyworks.org, which is a notice that you can put on your door uh, basically to say no thank you when the door-to-doses uh, vaccine pushers come. You know, that's what they call that program. It's happening all over the country, door-to-doses. They're going door-to-door -door and trying to pressure people to get the vaccine. So it says vaccination solicitation is unwelcome at this residence. Any person or persons attempting to violate the civil rights of the residents of this domicile will experience resistance as provided for by the Second and Fourteenth Amendments of the U.S. Constitution. And this notice is posted as a courtesy for your safety and ours. So we are, we are selling these. They're, you can get a package of 10 of them uh, for $8.50 each, or if you just want one, that's 12 bucks. And uh, if you're watching the live stream or watching this video down the road and you want to get them, just go to notbyworks.org, click on the store. If anybody wants them here tonight, I brought some of them uh, here on the front row unless uh, Kelly and Randy have stolen them all. Uh, but if you'd like one, just see me afterwards and we can settle up about that. But these are the kinds of things that we have to do to be preemptive, to be proactive, and to, to take a stand against uh, tyranny. And speaking of that, we're seeing more examples of franchised uh, tyranny. Uh, here's this just terrifying clip about a uh, couple who I guess they had a fever or something after when they were in the hospital to give birth. Well, I mean, the couple wasn't giving birth, but the wife was giving birth. Um, and, uh, and they wouldn't let them see the baby for eight days. They quarantined the baby, their newborn. If you're vaccinated, doesn't mean that you won't get infected. That's why we could not let that family go and visit their baby. So there was a big uproar about it. They even the hospital spokesman had to come out and give a, a press conference. Yeah, yeah, we took the baby away from, you know, newborn baby away from the mother for eight days. But we had to do it. Because even though the parents were vaccinated, they can still transmit the vaccine. So here's some new developments. You know, we talked about uh, how they're going to get away from the carrot and into more of a stick. In fact, we have CNN's uh, Washington bureau chief in a leaked email saying that we're going to have to use a bigger stick. We have uh, a Fauci who is predicting a flood of COVID vaccine mandates, this as of August the 8th. And then, of course, dutifully following right in line, you have all the different uh, venues and places that are issuing mandates. San Francisco, full COVID vaccine required for indoor venues. California, the first state to order all teachers to get vaccinated against COVID. Uh, this is uh, just this afternoon. 
Just this afternoon, Biden came out and said, he's now, if, if any nursing home in the United States of America wants to receive federal funding, they must require all of their staff to get the vaccine or they're not going to have their money. Right? Um, and then, of course, uh, $50 paycheck deductions for anybody who chooses not to get vaccinated. Uh, the Pentagon, uh, according to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, says we'll seek the president's approval to make the vaccines mandatory no later than mid-September or immediately upon licensure by the FDA, whichever comes first. So now all of our military, and of course you've heard the stories, their people, military servicemen and women are, are taking early retirement by the thousands rather than take a dangerous genetic modifying bio uh, injection. Um, and th this was really frightening to me, more propaganda. Uh, this from CNN, but it doesn't matter. The propaganda is an equal network provider. Um, but here they're encouraging and have set up a website to encourage children whose parents, underage children, whose parents won't let them get the vaccine, to go around their parents and get the vaccine anyway. The White House is pushing for students 12 and older to get vaccinated. But for some young adults, their parents may not agree to getting them vaccinated against COVID. One teenager is helping her peers get informed about their rights, and she is joining us now, Kelly Danielpour, who is the founder of Vaxteen, which is a website. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for being with us. You have this website, and it allows teenagers to go on and look at state-specific information about what they can and cannot do when it comes to their health if they don't have the consent of a person, uh, or of a parent, I should say. What, what are the stories that you're hearing from young people who want to use this resource? Is it just parents who are against the vaccine or are they against the vaccine for kids? It really it ranges. So for some, it's parents who are hesitant and they want help convincing them. And I think that is such an incredible thing that a teenager could really have this belief, even if their parents do not, and try and convince them. And then they're sort of ranging on the spectrum. We have people whose parents are really deep in conspiracy theories and believe that a vaccine could have a microchip in it or it's ranging very out there views. Yeah, those conspiracy theorist parents are at it again, you know. Don't even, they don't even allow for the possibility that parents might actually have critical thinking skills, be able to read the inserts in the package of these experimental bioinjections and come to a logical conclusion that this is dangerous. They don't even allow for the fact that parents might actually want to do what's in the best interest of their children and protect them from harm, which is what any parent should be doing. They don't even allow for the fact that these parents might actually be looking at the VAERS data and seeing the tens of thousands of uh, people that are dying and injured from these vaccines. They're just conspiracy theorists, you know. Um, here's uh, an article from August the 13th, so just not too long ago. Uh, three words in the White House official statement about mandating vaccines for interstate travel are very worrisome. And those three words were not at this time. <laughs> at this time. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And then, of course, maybe you're aware that uh, this uh, fellow, and I can't even see it, it's so small on my screen. This is Representative Richie Torres from New York, introduced House Resolution 4980, which has now been sent to the House Committee on Homeland Security, uh, which is, if it passes, will direct the Homeland Security Department to ensure that any individual traveling on a flight that departs from or 
lands in an airport inside the United States or one of its territories is fully vaccinated before they can fly. So that's where we're headed. You're starting to see more and more signs that are basically saying before you can get in, you got to show proof of vaccination. So of course, even though they all said, even our own mayor here in Denver was, or I guess it was Governor Polis said, oh, well, well, we're not, we're not even considering vaccine passports. Well, anytime they say something, remember liars lie and they're all liars. So anytime they say something, you should assume just the opposite. And so they're going to end up rolling out some type of consistent approved app, apps on your phone or documents that uh, are sanctioned and uh, there'll probably be two or three companies, probably be Google and some of the big big tech companies that are given the contracts. And if you don't have one of those, you won't be able to get in. Here's a North Carolina company, Castle Branch, who has a real vaccination ID that they're already uh, hawking. And with these passports, individuals re will retain complete control and ownership over their own personal information. And their motto is, nothing about me without me. Well, again... Whatever they say, it's just the opposite. What they really mean is everything about me is with them. That's what they mean. And uh, NIH Director Francis Collins, and you know how I feel about uh, him, has made it very clear that unvaccinated Americans are sitting ducks. Of course, he's blaming the Delta variant, but you have to wonder if there's not a little bit of a double entendre uh, there. Uh, this is very interesting. This is uh, uh, Rochelle Walensky, the current uh, CDC director who has been saying things exactly the opposite of Robert Redfield, the previous CDC director. They're both quacks, but they aren't even in agreement, which just shows you the whole thing is staged. But this is interesting. On March 29th, uh, she emphatically insisted that vaccinated people do not carry the virus. This was in an appearance on the Rachel Maddow show. They don't get sick. And it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in the real-world data. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus. Couldn't be more clear. Well, on August 6th, uh, she made a very important admission during an interview with Wolf Blitzer. And in that interview, she was repeating what she had said in a press release just one week earlier. She stated that the vaccine does not prevent COVID-19 infection, nor does it stop the vaccinated person from transmitting the disease. The exact opposite. Now, here's where critical thinking becomes crucial. And nobody, no, none of these talking head teleprompter reading news media people even think to ask what should be a fairly simple question. See if you can track with me on this. I know you can. But if vaccinated and non-vaccinated people have the same capacity to carry, shed, and transmit the virus with or without symptoms, because they're saying it can be asymptomatic. If that's the case, which she just admitted, then what difference does a passport ID or you know, vaccination passport make? I mean, you're standing at the door, you're having to show your papers to get in, and you get in, but you have the same capacity to carry, transmit, and shed the virus as the person who doesn't get in. That shows you right there, that's the smoking gun, that it's not about protecting public health. It's about control. It's about control. But that's how fake science works. Science is never settled. You just never know when everything you once believed to be true suddenly gets turned on its head and is no longer true. 
And we're not just net talking like we used to be, when, you know, 10, 20 years ago about, well, Pluto's a planet. Ten years later, no, it's not a planet. Ten years later, yes, it is a planet. We're talking about in a matter of three months, three months, major scientific announcements to push an agenda that are diabolically opposed. Which is it, Dr. Walensky? Which is it? Can the vaccinated carry the virus uh, or not? Um, it's, all, it's very, very evident, as we have said and shall see more evidence of tonight, that the vaccinated can still get COVID and still be hospitalized and still die. You saw the numbers a moment ago. These are so-called breakthrough cases, and they're, they're increasingly being reported not only in the U.S., but all across the globe. But in the U.S., as of last week, nearly 10,000 breakthrough coronavirus cases were reported in Massachusetts, 5,800 in Minnesota. There were more than 1,000 cases reported in Tennessee. According to data collected by NBC News and reported on July 30th, some 38 states had confirmed a total of 125,682 breakthrough cases. And you can bet that number is not entirely accurate. First, it doesn't include the other 12 states, and plus it also doesn't include people who are asymptomatic or have mild symptoms and don't report it. So, you know, last week, 233 staff members at two hospitals in San Francisco uh, tested positive for coronavirus. They were all vaccinated, um, or 80% of them were vaccinated. I don't know how the other 20% didn't get vaccinated and still have their job. Uh, and we talked about that in uh, in many, many cases. So when you hear this phrase breakthrough, uh, breakthrough virus, you know, one of the things that makes navigating this scandemic so difficult is that th this deconstruction of language, which of course predates the pandemic rollout a long time ago, but the meanings of words are being changed. They're being turned on their heads to advance an agenda. So a breakthrough virus really means vaccine failure. That's what a breakthrough virus is. Let's just call it what it is. You got the vaccine, you're not supposed to get the disease, but everyone's getting the disease. Well, we'll just call it a breakthrough virus, and it's the Delta variant or the Lambda variant or the Omega variant, whatever it might be. 27 people vaccinated uh, got the uh, virus on a Carnival cruise. Uh, here's a story from Fox News about a Southwest flight attendant. These are just anecdotes, and I think this was just yesterday, or maybe it was Sunday, but uh, Governor Abbott in Texas uh, they sent out an announcement, a tweet, that he has COVID, and of course he was fully vaccinated. Uh, here's a nurse, uh, this is from Charlie Kirk, who says her hospital is full of vaccinated patients. And now we need to do the obligatory mask update. I found this uh, very interesting. You're seeing lots and lots of tensions all across the country in the context of school restarting and school board meetings where school districts are dutifully not not looking at the science, not looking at the data, uh, nothing, just following the mandates of their medical tyrannical uh, health departments and requiring students K through 12 to wear masks for eight hours a day. Here in Eagle County, Colorado, they actually had to call out the police because things were getting uh, so out of hand at one meeting. But I always like to show you and remind you the physics and biology of viral respiratory diseases proves that masks never work. As I've said many times, masks not only don't work, but they actually are harmful. They cause immune suppression, hypercapnia, decreased blood oxygen, bacterial pneumonia, dental problems, and many, many 
other problems. There's lots of studies out there. I have over 100 on our website if you just click on the COVID data link on our homepage. Uh, but here's one article that has 47 pretty uh, important ones. And I thought I would show this. Uh, you know, you can talk about it all you want. And you can use sort of humorous metaphors like, you know, wearing a mask to keep out a, a, a respiratory virus is like putting up a chain link fence to keep mosquitoes out. We've all heard that or seen that meme. And that, that has some, you know, uh, gets some traction to kind of help us visualize it. But why not actually just look at a mask under a microscope uh, uh, 25 times magnification? So here you see the hole in the mask, and there you see the virus 50 times smaller than the hole. I want you to picture this virus the next time you think about putting on a mask. It absolutely does no good in protecting you from an acute respiratory virus, period, a severe SARS virus, none. And the science was not ambiguous about that until COVID. I've shown you in previous presentations how both the CDC director, the Surgeon General, Anthony Fauci, and everyone back in March at the beginning of the pandemic was saying, whatever you do, don't wear masks. They're, they don't work. They're not good for respiratory viruses. Don't wear them. But then they wanted to roll out this control measure. Well, one of the best articles I've ever read just came out August 11th. I have a copy of it here. Uh, it's long, but it is so detailed. The guy who wrote it, Jeffrey Anderson, uh, served as the director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics from 2017 to 21. He's like such a world-class statistician and researcher that he was one of the guys that they hired uh, a few years ago to work out the algorithms for the college football bowl championship formula, which if you remember that whole story, that was a big deal. But this guy is like a par excellent when it comes to uh, st statistics. And I won't take the time to read it. I had hoped I would have some time, but he, he clearly shows, I'll just give you the, the nuts and bolts of it. They are absolutely not using any RCT studies to, to, to switch the science and tell you that, oh, now we've got new science that says you should wear a mask. Randomized control trials, which is the gold standard in the industry. Uh, they're, uh, you know, what medical research has always based their decisions on. The CDC has decided to ignore them because there are no randomized control. Oh, by the way, that article, uh, if this article that you see on the screen, it's on our website at, if you just click on the COVID data, not by works.org, click on COVID data. There's a link right there at the top. Well worth the, the read. The links are all there. It links you to the CDC. It links you to the journals. It shows you how the CDC came to conclude that suddenly after 100 years of research, masks do now work to stop viruses. And I'm going to tell you what they concluded, and it's right there on their website. But rather than using these randomized control trials, instead, they based it on observational studies. And their favorite one, their pride and joy, it's right there on their website, was a study, and I'm not making this up, you're going to think I am, but I, that's why I put the screenshot up there, of two hairstylists in Missouri, whom they observed for a period of time, and then figured out how many of their uh, customers got COVID. And they wore masks, and the study concluded that of 139 customers during the period of time, again, there was no randomized control group at all, that 67 uh, customers who subsequently got tested, who chose to subsequently get tested for COVID, using, of course, the PCR test, which we know how that is, uh, came back negative. 
And none of the other 72, up for the 139, reported any symptoms. So they just assumed that none of them had it. So basically they concluded that masks work because 139 customers who got their hair cut at a beauty shop where the two stylists wore a mask, that must mean they work. I am not kidding. And, it, and here it is, right here. You can look at it. It's, it's the lead story when, you, when they say, what changed? Why do we now say masks work when 100 years they didn't? Oh, here's why. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And yet you see things like this uh, screenshot of a Zoom meeting. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is the quintessential picture of what fear looks like. You're in a Zoom meeting in the privacy of your own office wearing a mask. Well, let's talk about how Agenda 2030 is really the blueprint for rolling out the New World uh, Order. Uh, it all stemmed from Agenda 21, which really started back in 1992 with the climate change movement, or what was used to be called the global warming uh, movement, which uh, we don't have time to get into that, but I've addressed that in, in my Spirit of the Antichrist series. But it's now become the latest uh, iteration of it is Agenda 2030, which, as you can see, is a joint effort of the UN and the World Economic Forum. And the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development basically sets out 17 global goals that every country must abide by. They're called SDGs, Sustainability uh, uh, Development Goals, SDGs, Sustainability or Sustainable Development Goals, one of the two. Yeah, there it is, Sustainable Development Goals. So uh, there are 17 of them. I'm going to kind of give you the gist of what they really mean in just a moment. But the United States signed on on September 25th, 2015. There's the actual uh, 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 official document from the Obama White House, uh, whitehouse.gov. So here's the big picture. Um, basically... It's going to start with depopulation. They want to rid the world of the undesirables. By 2030, the UN plans for each person to have biometric identification, which will be approved worldwide. The information of every human being will be stored in a universal database located in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, basically, to put it succinctly, the goal of the Luciferian elite as set forth in Agenda 2030 is to take control of the planet, take control of the world, and take control of you. They want a complete internet of not just things, but of uh, bodies. They want com complete tracking and tracing and control of individuals. They want an ideological revolution. They want destruction of private enterprise. They want the abolishment of constitutional protections and national sovereignty. They want to foment violent uprisings through political and racial discord because their credo is order out of chaos, right? Uh, they want to eliminate private gun uh, ownership. Uh, they want to marginalize and ultimately eliminate any belief in God. If the Lord tarries us coming, we will be living in a day where belief in God is punishable by being institutionalized in a mental hospital. Um, so you hear all this talk about smart technology, smart meters, smart washing machines, smart TVs, smart refrigerators. SMART stands for Sustainability Monitoring, Assessing, Rating, and Tracking. Well, who are they tracking? I mean, do they have a problem with a lot of refrigerators sneaking out at night and going and, per, you know, per committing crimes? No, when they talk about tracking, they're talking about tracking you and me. That's what SMART stands for. And it goes back to what we talked about 
in one of the previous three sessions, transhumanism, and, uh, and basically making us all into these machines that are uh, trackable uh, resources. Uh, they get rid of the ones they don't want. The ones that are left are the serfs that do their bidding. Uh, here's a Danish environmental minister from the WEF, World Economic Forum website. She says, welcome to 2030. I don't own anything, including a home, and I have no real privacy. Nowhere I can go and not be registered. I know that somewhere everything I do, think, and dream of is recorded. And she's happy about it. Uh, I, we talked about the Internet of Things. Here's a, another iteration of that from the globalists themselves. This is a montage of different uh, clips and studies from different seminars and symposiums put on by the World Economic Forum and other uh, groups. It's about two minutes long. It's all about the Internet of Bodies. They call it part of the fourth industrial revolution. One of the features of this fourth industrial revolution is that it doesn't change what we are doing, but it changes us. The very idea of human being some sort of natural concept is really going to change. Up until now, the conversation we've been having is around freedom of speech. Once we can access people's thoughts and access people's emotions. The focus, as all of you know, today is on what's now called the Internet of Bodies involving medical implants and other kinds of devices that go inside your body and all together with the internet as a whole comprise the internet of bodies. The internet of bodies or IOB is, um, is actually an ecosystem. It's a bunch of devices that are connected to the internet that contain software and that either collect personal health data about you or can alter the body's function. We think of the internet of bodies as this collection of all these devices as well as all the data that the devices are gathering about you. And in healthcare, it's Internet of Bodies has, has been around for quite a while. So the Internet of Bodies, um, imagine the power of AI. What is artificial intelligence? It's a way to automate computation and cognition. So we can now automate learning, perceiving, uh, doing computation. It's a pervasive general purpose technology that will be used in all of our industries that will come into our professional networks, our private networks, our schools, our industries and our offices. What I wanted to epitomize with the Internet of Bodies is this notion that we will be under assessment, we will be under measure of computation in every aspect of our lives in the future, from what you eat, who you date, what you buy on the internet, um, how much energy you use, but also what are your vital signs, how well are you doing in terms of health, uh, what kind of specific genetic quirks do you have, what's your genome telling about your health, about your mental health, about how well you are doing, how well you are aging, what kind of disease you are susceptible to. It has a bit of an Orwellian twinge to it. Well? <laughs> she just kind of like, well? <laughs> you know? Of course it does. That's what he said. It has a bit of an Orwellian twinge to it. Well, yeah, it does, you know. 1984, George Orwell, right? We're all being watched. I talked about um, uh, Crystal Vander Elst, who is the Policy Horizon Director. It's a Canadian federal government organization uh, before, uh, and she's the one who says that, you know, this is going to cause us to redefine what we consider to be human. I'm skipping over these quickly because we've showed them before, but I wanted to show you one more thing about it. She says we're talking about creating new hybrid forms of life. But what I didn't show you before, because we ran out of time in that session, 
was uh, this uh, document, Exploring Biodigital Convergence, which her, or her government agency put out in Canada. And there's a section of it called Good Morning Biodigital. I actually downloaded the PDF of the full document. It's, I forget, 40, 50 pages, maybe more. But in this uh, section, they basically provide a glimpse of the future through the eyes of transhumanism. That's my characterization of, of this uh, section. The section is called Good Morning Biodigital. And even though I know I'm running up against a little bit of time here and I really want to allow for questions, I'm going to take the time to read a little bit of this section. It's similar to what we saw before about what 2030 looks like in that other uh, person uh, that I quoted a moment ago. She says, I wake up to the sunlight and salty coastal air of the Adriatic Sea. I don't live anywhere near the Mediterranean, but my AI, which is also my health advisor, has prescribed a specific air quality, scent, and solar intensity to manage my energy levels in the morning and has programmed my bedroom to mimic this climate. The fresh bed sheets grown in my building from regenerated fungi are better than I imagined. I feel rested and ready for the day. I need to check a few things before I get up. I send a brain message to open the app that controls my insulin levels and make sure my pancreas is optimally supported. I can't imagine having to inject myself with needles like my mother did when she was a child. Now it's a microbe transplant that auto-adjusts and reports on my levels. Everything looks all right, so I check my brain's digital interface to read the dream data that was recorded and processed in real time last night. My therapy app analyzes the emotional responses I expressed while I slept. It suggests I take time to be in nature this week to reflect on my recurring trapped-in-a-box dream and enhance helpful subconscious neural activity. My AI recommends a forest today. I think, okay, and my AI and neural implant do the rest. <laughs> The summary, of my, uh, the summary of my bug bot surveillance footage shows that my apartment was safe from intruders, including other bug bots, last night, but it does, not, it does notify me that my herd of little cyber dragonflies are hungry. They've been working hard collecting data and monitoring the outside environment all night, but the number of mosquitoes and lime-carrying ticks they normally hunt to replenish their energy was smaller than expected. With a thought, I order some nutrient support for them. My, hit, my feet hit the regenerative carpet and I grab a bathrobe, although I don't need it for warmth. My apartment is gradually warming up to a comfortable 22 degrees Celsius as it cycles through a constantly shifting daily routine that keeps me in balance with the time of day and season. Building codes and home energy infrastructure are synchronized and require all homes to be auto-regulated for efficiency. Because houses and buildings are biomimetic and incorporate living systems for climate control wherever possible, they are continuously filtering the air and capturing carbon. I check my carbon offset measure to see how much credit I will receive for my home's contribution to the government's climate change mitigation. Well, it goes on and on and on. But that's the world they envision. We're basically heading for, and in many ways already are, in a prison planet, and only the Luciferian elite hold the keys. They are the masters, at least until Jesus comes. And then, of course, they'll find out who the master is when they bow, as we talked about at the outset. Remember Klaus Schwab said, the tools of the fourth industrial revolution enable new forms of surveillance and other means of control that run counter to healthy open societies. They admit it. He says it's going to require some adjustments in thinking. Remember what Zbigniew Brzezinski said, I quoted this previously, soon it will be possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date complete files containing even the most personal information about the citizen. And these files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by the authorities. He said that in his book, Between Two Ages, in 1970. 
and he was a key globalist leader to many presidents on both sides uh, in both parties uh, for many years. He, he died just uh, in 2017, I think it was. Uh, so again, going back to Agenda 2030, here's the CEO of Bank of America, Brian Moynihan, saying, quote, we want a cashless society. Here's Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who said, this pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic system. Remember, this has been planned for a long time. Um, Amazon's uh, talking about a new payment system that lets people pay using their palm. If that doesn't have biblical overtones, I don't know what does. Here's a Swedish uh, ad where commuters can use uh, a microchip in the hand uh, on, you know, to check in or you know, get on the plane. Uh, Three Square Market in River Falls, Wisconsin. This was back from 2017. They held a chip party in which they encouraged their employees to get the chip. And they said, uh, you know, it'd be great. You'll just hit pay with a credit card like in the break, the employee break room the article talks about. You go up to the candy machine and you just hold your arm up and boom. You know, it'll, if you get within a certain proximity, you'll be able to, you know, deduct it from your payroll and, and boom, you'll get your product. Catherine Austin Fitz from the Planet Lockdown interview, August uh, 2020, she said, quote, many people are familiar with the social credit system in China. It's very similar to what is being rolled out by the World Economic Forum and the Luciferian Global Elite. Here's, you know, these uh, Chinese citizens all bragging about their social credit score, right? And so if the Luciferians install the smart grid in your car or community, and now literally in your body, then you've got 24-7 surveillance. This is Catherine Austin Fitz. If people do not do what you say and behave the way you want, then you can't, they, they can and will shut off your money. And they will also have spatial control. If they say you cannot travel more than five miles, that's because you're in a complete digital control system. And it's controlled by the central bankers, she says, ultimately the Luciferians. Uh, so, you know, again, all of these things count against your uh, they're tracked. Remember what smart means, tracking. Everything you do is track, tracked. And then they, it goes against your score. And, you know, you go in to buy a gallon of milk, and they say, I'm sorry, you know, you're not eligible. You jaywalked yesterday, right? And I've mentioned previously that in China, if you jaywalk, uh, of course, they have cameras everywhere. They're pervasive. But if you jaywalk in China before you get to the other side of the street, they've already debited your bank account the fine. Um, so Big Brother is not only watching you, but they're evaluating and labeling you. That's the whole idea behind Agenda 2030 and smart technology. Sustainability, monitoring, assessing, rating, and tracking. But they can't do that unless we give them an inroads into our homes and ultimately our bodies. Think vaccine. And, and then they can connect it all up to the Internet of Bodies and Internet of Things, and they can track us, right? And I think I've mentioned the story before about how several, many years ago when we lived down in Texas on some property, fortunately that was gated, uh, we had a run-in, a uh, couple of run-ins actually, including with a manager when they were trying to get on our property to install a smart meter, and we wouldn't let them. We wouldn't let them. Um, so, you know, uh, here's an article from 2019, just before the pandemic. Silicon Valley is building a Chinese-style social credit system. Well, of course they are. I mean, why do you think Facebook and Twitter and, and all those things exist? What was the point? Why did the CIA and other Luciferian-run agencies partner with Google and Facebook at the beginning? Because they wanted to condition us to create a mechanism for tracking our every action, thought, word, and movement. That was the plan 
all along. That's the purpose of social media. Well, what's the timetable? We'll close with this. Uh, first of all, just some interesting little tidbits uh, from the Luciferians' own words. First of all, uh, Klaus Schwab, in many different uh, contexts, have said, well, it's going to be sooner than most people anticipate. Sooner than most people anticipate. Uh, here's an article from 2017 uh, that speculated why the fall of American empire will come by 2030. 2030. Uh, this was by Alfred McCoy, uh, who, at least last I heard, still taught history at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And he said, said that uh, negative trends that are plaguing America now will likely get much worse, growing rapidly by 2020. He said this in 2017 and would reach an official critical mass no later than 2030. <clears throat> Rudolf Steiner was an Australian philosopher, social reformer, architect, just a basic esoteric kind of a guy, also claimed to be a clairvoyant. But he, uh, he said this, in the future, we will eliminate the soul with medicine. Under the pretext of a healthy point of view, there will be a vaccine by which the human body will be treated as soon as possible directly at birth so that the human being cannot develop the thought of the existence of soul and spirit. Materialistic doctors will be entrusted with the task of removing the soul of humanity. As today, people are vaccinated against this or that disease, so in the future, children will be vaccinated with a substance that can be produced precisely in such a way that people, thanks to this vaccination, will be immune to being subject to the madness of spiritual life. Remember what I said, one of the goals is to eliminate God. It's one of their goals. Um, so this was, you know, more than 100 years ago. He was already, how did he know? Because it's all through their literature. The Luciferians have been planning this for a long time. Here's uh, Alice Bailey, uh, who was a uh, disciple of Helena Blavatsky. And uh, she has, was a prolific writer, 24 books totaling over 10,000 pages, and she claims that they came from channeling a demon who gave her all of this information. And it was interesting, a friend of mine uh, was researching her and came up with a multiple number of occasions where she happens to reference the year 2025. Now, she died in 1949, okay? and yet, strangely, she keeps referencing 2025. Uh, 25. The inner structure of the World Federation of Nations will eventually be equal well, equally well organized with its outer form taking rapid shape by 2025. She said, uh, very great changes will be seen to have taken place until 2025 from the post-World War II years and have increased in activity and speed. In 2025, in all probability, the date will be set for the first stage of the reappearance of the spiritual hierarchy on earth in physical form. Think. If you're a biblicist and a born-again Christian who believes the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, think Antichrist, right? Control of the world's resources will increasingly come under the control of those people whose primary vote motivation is that of service and goodwill. Remember, liars lie. Uh, they will exist in their millions by 2025. I'm not setting a date here. I'm just making some observations that that date seems to come up a lot. Here's Pope Benedict from... 2029, talking about an urgent need of a true world political authority and a universally recognized invested with effective power to ensure security for all. That's a one world government that he's talking about. Here's uh, uh, 2011 of uh, Pontifical Council. Of course, this transformation will be made at the cost of a gradual balanced transfer of part of each nation's powers to a world authority. Okay. 
And then uh, here's our current pope, uh, Pope Francis. It's essential to devise stronger and more efficiently organized influential uh, international institutions with functionaries who are empowered to impose sanctions. Right? And he says, uh, we need a new world order. And let us all keep in mind that there is, this is after the pandemic started, all keep in mind that there is something worse than this crisis, and that is the drama of wasting it. Sound familiar? Remember what Rahm Emanuel said? You never let a serious crisis go to waste. Um, and he's repeated that multiple times, including in reference to COVID. Uh, Rahm Emanuel has. Uh, here's a 16-second PSA from the Pope encouraging uh, Catholics to get... Vacunarse con vacunas autorizadas por las autoridades competentes es un acto de amor. Y ayudar a que la mayoría de la gente lo haga es un acto de amor. Amor a uno mismo, amor a los familiares y amigos, amor a todos los pueblos. So they're coming at it from all different angles, you know, just as the evangelical Christian community is having all of its leaders go out and shame the unvaccinated and praise the vaccinated, so true of the Catholic Church. Uh, more dates that we see from the Luciferians. Here's uh, the SPARS pandemic 2025-2028, which was a futuristic scenario came out in October of 2017, uh, put out by Johns, Johns Hopkins University, basically an exercise, and it mentions a new virus that will infect mankind in 2025. And again, this is their own uh, documents. Uh, it's, uh, according to the simulation or this exercise, it was going to hit uh, 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 St. Paul, Minnesota. That's where the SP comes from, SPARS. I forget what the ARS is, but anyway. Uh, and then we showed this before from uh, Deagle. Uh, you have to wonder why in their forecast they suggested in the year 2025, again, there's that year, the U.S. population would be down to 100 million. Uh, here's, uh, according to the World Bank, COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, is a project that is planned to continue until the end of March 2025. Well, how do they know when the end of the COVID-19 project will be. I mean, I don't know. I'm not drawing conclusions, just putting out the data. And then I got to look at some of the books that were 2025 is prominent, not saying there's a connection or a conspiracy, but it is kind of interesting how many books talk about 2025. Uh, and there are probably many more. I didn't do a full look. One book that I have and uh, bought when it came out and read was Patrick J. Buchanan. Kind of interesting on the cover. He says, will America survive to 2025? I mean, maybe that was some editor who just thought it had a catchy ring to it and would be a good byline on the book. Is that possible, Anne? Yeah. Who knows, you know, but it's interesting. And then uh, I've been waiting to talk about this one. Soylent Green came out in 1973, starring Charlton Heston. Some of you may know uh, this incredible dystopian movie. Uh, know about it? Did you guys watch it? Yes. Was that your first date? No? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, obviously, it's a pretty disgusting, uh, you know, plot line, basically, um, uh, you know, the, the, the oceans are dying, and there's year-round humidity and poverty and overpopulation and euthanasia and depleted resources, and uh, Soylent Green is the name of a wafer-like food product in the film that they come to find out is being processed uh, from protein made from, you know, human the waste of human beings and uh, on the unsuspecting populace. So uh, I thought it was interesting that, again, on the cover, the poster uh, here we have 
the whole movie is set in the future. It's the year 2022. So, uh, by the way, Wisconsin just joined 20 other states in legalizing the liquefying of human corpses and allowing them to be discarded in municipal sewer systems. So what comes next? All right, here's my speculation, and I'll see what you guys have to think. I think we're going to see continued, continued suppression of free speech. Just this morning, I got this uh, email from the, the subscription I have with the New York Times. Good morning. The Supreme Court may reconsider a major case concerning freedom of the press. Now, of course, conservatives love this because it's talking about the New York Times v. Sullivan in 1964, uh, which basically gives uh, the, the press almost a blanket immunity against libel lawsuits. Uh, but be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. That's what I say. Uh, there's a reason why the First Amendment is first, because undergirding all other freedoms is the freedom of speech. Censorship, I think, will continue and get much, much worse, including punishment uh, for violators. Things are going to be uh, banned. Um, the part three in what in the world is going on of this series, banned by YouTube. I, I quit using YouTube six months ago or, or more, but I wanted to get this message of this series out to as many people as possible, so I went ahead and posted it back on YouTube. Uh, it had only 300 views in the first couple hours before they, they banned it, just like that. And you have to wonder, again, what are they hiding? I mean, what, what, why ban it? If, if this is all nuts and I'm, you know, none of it's true, then they shouldn't have to worry about it. But censorship is always an attempt, always, always an attempt to suppress the truth. The worst thing about censorship is, all right, so what comes next? FDA approval of the gene-modifying bioinjections. And I, I talked about this, but it's, it's all over the news. This is from August 9th. Full FDA approval of the vaccine is coming soon. Here's... Um, uh, Fauci. No one wants to get ahead of the FDA because they're an independent group that makes their own decisions. This is a quote. I left off the quote at the beginning, but it's a quote uh, from NBC's Meet the Press on August 13th, so just, what, five days ago. But he said, but I hope, I don't predict, but I hope that it's in the next few weeks. I hope that it's in the month uh, of August. Uh, public shaming of nonconformists. We're going to see shocking and dehumanizing discrimination against the unvaccinated. Um, we're, we're already beginning to see it. Here's an Atlantic article from August the 3rd. Unvaccinated people need to bear the burden. Don Lemon said people who refuse the COVID-19 injection should not be allowed to buy food. We should be starved to death. I mean, Don Lemon. <laughs> I could, I better be careful. This is from the UK, but this is more propaganda uh, a news story. Is, is it time to ditch your unvaccinated friends? Oh you know, is that unbelievable or what? Um, here's a USA Today story. It's time to start shunning the vaccine hesitant. Um, Jennifer Aniston defends her tweets about shunning unvaccinated people. This from Freedom Wire. June 21st, the great shunning has begun. Uh, the View co-host, Sunny Hostin, and I'm very proud to tell you that I have never heard of her. <laughs> but apparently in some circles, she must be all that because she made the cover of Real Clear Politics. She said, we need to shun those who refuse to get uh, vaccinated. I think we're going to start seeing official crackdowns on dissenters. Many of you may have seen last Friday the 
DHS issued a new terror alert, first one in quite some time, as I recall, where they've changed it. But in light of the soon coming 20th anniversary of the 9-11, uh, false flag. They've issued this new terror threat, and right there at the top, guess who's the biggest terror threat? Anybody who opposes COVID measures. So we're terrorists. And once they label you a terrorist, then they can impose all sorts of unconstitutional penalties on you, like adding you to the no-fly list or locking you up without due process, like many of the people that uh, basically committed misdemeanor trespass on January 6th and have been locked up without access to a lawyer ever since. They can freeze or confiscate your bank accounts. See, the vice is going to get tighter and tighter. No travel, no health care, no food, no socializing, no banking. This is from the Homeland Security's actual bulletin. Uh, the, I don't know if you can see it on the screen there, but it's set to expire November 11th, so it's a 90-day alert. They think that sometime in the 90, next 90 days there's a good chance there's going to be some kind of an attack. And as you read through it, they, talk, they say, through the remainder of 2021, anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremists will remain a national threat priority for the United States. This is domestic they're talking about. These extremists may seek to exploit the emergence of COVID-19 variants by viewing the potential reestablishment of public health restrictions across the U.S. as a rationale to conduct attacks. Pandemic-related stressors have contributed to increased societal strains and tensions, driving several plots by domestic violent terrorists, and they may contribute to more violence this year. Law enforcement have expressed concerns that the broader sharing of false narratives and conspiracy theories, this is right here on the DHS terror alert, uh, by individuals and small groups uh, could be a problem. I'm paraphrasing now. DHS is advancing authoritative sources of information to debunk and, when possible, preempt false narratives and intentional disinformation and providing educational materials to promote resilience to the risks associated with interacting with and spreading disinformation, conspiracy theories, and false narratives. Um, this from August 10th. Tourists are told uh, to leave France as they're continuing to lock down. Uh, this from August 13th, Army National Guard recruits for internment and resettlement camps. Um, I actually followed some of the links and did, in fact, find on the Army website a posting for uh, an internment resettlement specialist. You have to wonder what that's about. Um, I believe the pandemic will become endemic. Uh, it's going to be going on forever. Uh, here's an article that sort of hints at that from, again, the New York Times, all the paper that's fit to flush. Good morning. Long COVID. Long COVID remains a word. That's going to be the new catchphrase. This is from just August 16th. But I, I predict, I bet you're going to hear more about long COVID. Because, you know, people are, you know, have this vaccine and it's going to be a slow release and it's going to create problems and have ongoing issues. I think uh, we're going to see them continue to foment division. The whole idea of divide and conquer, remember, uh, Jesus said every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falls. They, I don't think I've said this yet tonight, but as a reminder, they want to destroy this country. America is the one country still standing in the way of a one world government. And not, we're not going to go down without a fight, but that's what they want. They want to create essentially some type of civil war. I believe we're uh, ripe for a false flag terrorist attack of some nature. All of the stuff that's going on 
over in Afghanistan. You know, you see the Afghani government fell. Obviously, uh, all the major media were talking about the startling scenes that came out of Kabul. This from August 15th. U.S. completes the evacuation of the embassy in Afghanistan as the flag comes down at the diplomatic compound. And uh, one uh, conservative uh, commentator uh, put it this way, I wonder what flag it was that they took down. Was it the LGBTQ rainbow flag that was flying at many U.S. embassies around the world? This is a tweet from the Kabul embassy uh, back in, uh, when was it, June, Pride Month. Who knows what flag they, they took down. Uh, here's General Miley, or Milley, I, can't, I don't know how you say his name, I apologize, but he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and he's talking about a Taliban threat now that we're out of the way, um, you know, we trained, uh, we trained the, the Afghani government for 20 years, our crack military, top-level military in the world, top military in the world. Everybody agree with that? Of course, right? Uh, we trained them for 20 years. Ten days after we left, they were toppled by a ragtag band of cave dwellers. You know, that was not organic. That was by design. That was by design. And if it wasn't by design that every one of us in this room should be dreadfully afraid of counting on our own military to protect us. You know, if they can't protect us from Afghani rebels, the Taliban, I mean, seriously. But of course, they couldn't protect us from 19 teenagers in turbans, turbans who abated uh, the U.S. military for two and a half hours on September 11th. So who knows? Uh, that just tells you it's not about what it's about. Uh, here's a Fox News article, a matter of time until another 9-11, experts warn. Um, we see the Russian and Chinese armies kind of uh, commiserating a lot uh, as Afghanistan unravels. Um, this guy on the left is the Russian defense minister, uh, Sergei Shoigu. I don't speak Russian, so I apologize if I'm obliterating his name. And the Chinese defense minister, Wei Fenghei. I think we're going to see lockdown 2.0, basically a lockdown on steroids coming. Uh, and we see hints of this all over the news. Um, and again, liars lie. So on July 30th, when the White House walked back previous comments about a possibility of new lockdowns, that just means they're coming. <laughs> um, Dr. Fauci, again, liars lie, doesn't expect more lockdowns. He expects things to get worse. Well, of course, he's been flip-flopped uh, so often, of course, it means they're coming. Uh, and then finally, I think we're going to see food and supply shortages. Um, and uh, actually, that's not, I've got one more, food and supply shortages. Uh, you, many of you heard that China's top port and the third largest port uh, in the world has been shut down now for eight days. And um, I just heard on my drive-in tonight that uh, some of the ports that it goes, you know, that, that it goes to have now the cost of a container to ship a container has increased 300 percent. I mean that. I mean, you you realize that all of the stuff that we buy at our local grocery store or Walmart originates from one of those containers, <laughs> and if those things can't get here or they can't get here because nobody can afford to get them here, that's going to create a problem down the line. We see grocers are now stockpiling food supplies ahead of an expected inflation and food supply source uh, shortages. Uh, the Science Times reports uh, this was uh, August 3rd. Extreme food insecurity to spike in the next four months. UN says 23 countries are expected to experience food shortages because they'll 
create them. <laughs> and then uh, here finally, civil unrest like we've never seen before. I talked about this, I think, in part three, but I think we're going to see more and more uh, civil unrest and, and, and then the false flag will probably be a part of that and they'll blame it on uh, the unvaccinated or the conservatives or the Trump supporters or something. And uh, that's, that's what they want. Will this happen in this timetable? I don't know. So if you have questions, I'm happy to answer a few questions. Yeah. Well, when's the rapture? <laughs> well, you know, uh, for the right price, I'll tell you. But uh, no, I uh, I think we just have to keep looking up and, and 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 come, Lord Jesus. You know, eagerly awaiting. The Bible talks about. Yeah, it's that Greek word apek dekamai. We've talked about that. So uh, we we want him to come back. Um, but remember, um, a lot of the verses we looked at at the beginning remind us. Uh, and we've looked at several of these over the weeks to, to not be scared, but to be prepared. That's the difference. So, anybody else? Questions or comments? Yeah. I noticed that there's been a lot of coverage now on the news uh, relative to the third inoculation. Oh, yeah. And do you think that this is going to become a big factor as well in terms of now they're ostracizing all that are unvaccinated. But what about the third uh, injection? I, I would suggest that a lot of people will not get that that have previously gotten the right. Yeah, so the question is about the boosters that all of these vaccine companies are now needing. You're hearing mixed reports. Some vaccine companies or are, are, are big pharma companies are coming out and saying, no, we don't need a booster for our vaccine. And others are saying, no, we do. Um, so, you know, again, it's just my best guess. I'm not a prophet by any means, um, but I feel like uh, you're right that there are a number of people who didn't get the second injection because you're not hearing about it in the news, but the facts are the facts. And when people became deathly ill and were hospitalized after the first injection, they said, there's no way I'm taking the second one. So when we're only at 50% uh, capacity, by the way, the, the latest figure as of today, there's 2.45 billion people in the world, roughly one third of the world's population that have been fully vaccinated. In the U.S., it's roughly 50% have been fully vaccinated. And the reason it's not any higher is not just because of principled biblical Christian people who recognize they don't want to inject their body with the parts of aborted baby feet, you know, uh, corpses, but it's because the people, many people who got the first injection realized how devastating it was, and they're not doing it. So that's why I believe that, you know, they're rolling out the stick and, and not the carrot. They tried paying people and all these, you know, lotteries and, you know, this kind of stuff, and it just didn't work because the facts speak for themselves. So now they're going to come at you with a stick. Um, it, it's hard for me to know whether, uh, like a lot of these literature and the transhumanist stuff from these uh, uh, Luciferians in the World Economic Forum and such, say whether their real goal is to make sure everybody gets it or uh, whether really ultimately their goal is depopulation and if that comes through some type of civil war or some type of false flag attack or some other mass casualty event that would be just as good to them as well I, I just don't know but they seem to still be pushing it so I have to believe that whatever their agenda getting people to stick that needle in their arm is still very much a part of their game plan yeah you think trying to do everything they can to get power, but we just 
Right. So I'm going to summarize what you said uh, just for the, the recording and for the people listening. Um, but what you're talking about is what I call franchised tyranny. You called it, uh, what did you, what term did you just use? Weaponizing, uh, you know, uh, weaponizing what? Private industry. Yeah, basically using private industry and institutions like schools and medical industry and big companies like Target and Walmart to, uh, to enforce the laws. And I think that's absolutely right because they know, as you said, that the Constitution, there are enough constitutionalists and patriot-loving, freedom-loving, gun-owning, Bible-believing Americans that they'd have a, quite a fight on their hands. And so um, it, it depends what the end game is and how close we are to the end game. If they want essentially civil unrest in a massive level, then they may try to do something like that from the top down. I mean, they're already doing it in a way, like Biden today announcing that all nursing homes, you know, and he's not directly requiring it. He's skirting the issue by saying, we're not going to give you money, you know, if you don't do it. Uh, but I think we're going to see more and more of the franchise tyranny where individuals, you know, uh, organizations, schools, and so forth, um, you know, are going to require it. And uh, But to what end? Again, um, they're not going to be able to get 70 or 80 percent of America vaccinated. We just, we've seen that. That's just, it'd be unbelievable to me. Even with all the censorship and all that, there's enough word getting out now. And, you know, these types of signs that people are going to see. Now, every time someone comes to my door, they're going to say, oh, and it just plants that seed that, oh, maybe there is something wrong with the vaccine. Maybe I need to look into it. And so I encourage you, by the way, to put those up uh, and talk about it and send out tweets and send out that article that's on my website about masks because people are waking up. And so, you know, what comes next? I gave you several options, but I definitely think a part of it, and it's happening daily, is this you know, uh, franchise tyranny, for sure. Yeah? Do you think that these people know who and what they are, or are they just So the question is, do these people know who and what they are? So in uh, my Spirit of the Antichrist series, which was a 14-hour, uh, 18-video, 10-disc uh, DVD series where you can get it as a download, I actually outline who they are and diagram, you know, the top tier, the different levels and so forth. Uh, at the up, upper echelons, there's roughly six families that have long been in the bloodlines of the Illuminati that are talking to Satan, taking marching orders from him. Uh, they are not in the public eye. Uh, at the second level, I think uh, a good number of those people are aware that this is a Luciferian satanic agenda, but most of them probably are not. And then at the third level, most of them aren't at all. They're just competing for power and money. And a lot, for a lot of them, it's money. And, and they may not know that it, if they traced it all the way to the top that it's something spiritual and satanic. Uh, so it kind of depends on who you mean. I, I, uh, Fauci's definitely a Satan worshiper. So we know he knows. But we don't know necessarily. And Bill Gates and some of these. Uh, but, you know, like a guy like Francis Collins. I mean, he's definitely not helping things at all, but I bet you he's not in the know about where the where the power originates from. So yeah. I think 
think like you hit on it earlier with how frustrated you get, especially when believers don't see it. And me and my dad have talked about this, but there's got to be a spiritual blindness, a demonic like shot that's been pulled over people's eyes. Yeah. Well, Yeah, there is, you said it, there's a spiritual blindness, it's a deception, and I've talked a lot about deception in different uh, settings, but it's getting worse and worse, and people need to break free, and I think prayer is going to be a big part of that. Obviously, if people don't know the Lord, we need to share the gospel, and uh, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, then of course you're going to be pretty fearful of all this. But if you, if you know the Lord, it, then we, we know who holds the future. And so if you're watching uh, the live stream or sometime in the future watching this video, let me just encourage you. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins. He's the only hope. You need to, we all need to be getting our house in order, but that starts with getting our spiritual house in order and making sure that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So don't trust in your provisions and in your guns or any trust in Jesus first and foremost. And, uh, and, and, and that's the answer. He died and rose again for your sins. Yeah. So two, you asked two questions, two excellent questions. Um, first of all, we, we let the battle come to us. We're not at the point yet where they're literally going to come drag us out of our homes. That's, that's probably a ways off if we ever get there. So right now, it's, a, it's an information battle. And, uh, you know, I heard someone that I was listening to, I think it was yesterday, talk about we're basically already in a civil war. It's just not a hot war, Right. So that war involves information. So I think it's critical to do things like this because we're not at the point, nor is there any indication that it's imminent where they're going to come with a SWAT team and drag you out of your home and put a needle in your arm. So in, until that happens, and when we get to that point, then you can take it down. Then we're going to all go underground and head for our you know, bunkers and whatever anyway, and you better have a, a bug-out plan and a preparation plan. But until then, I think these types of things are critical. As far as what's going on in Australia... Uh, I do think that that is, uh, they're, they're further down the road over there, and not just Australia, but New Zealand and in France and in other parts of Europe. Now, what you do see in Europe is a lot more open uh, protesting, which to me, I'm watching very closely, and it's a bit worrisome to me that we're not seeing more of that here. You're seeing some of it, especially at school board meetings. We've seen that all over the country. But you know, they're having people by the tens of thousands storm the streets in, in France. And um, uh, so 
you know, as a te as a uh, sort of a anecdote of what I think the problem is in America, Tyson Foods, uh, which has over 100,000 employees, required everyone to get the vaccine or be fired. It wasn't one of these, we're going to test you every day if you don't, it's you either get it or you're fired, period. And uh, out of over 100,000 employees, they had like 650 that protested at a, at a big rally. Well, they don't even care about that. They just, they dust them aside like nothing. And I think that's indicative of what's happening in our country. We're not, we're seeing some little flare-ups, but it hasn't hit us hard enough. And when it hits hard enough, I'm hoping and praying that American citizens will have the resolve and the con con courage to stand up and protest because um, they can't control all of us, you know, uh, ultimately. I mean, ultimately they can, but in the short term they can't. If they want to bring the military in and all that, uh, fine. But we're not there yet. So I think we need to stand strong, stand up. Um, you know, uh, it, I think things like this send a signal. Um, you know, I, I send that signal every chance I get. Not in a uh, provocative way, but in a informational way. You know, we were picking up uh, people at the airport. We had a steady stream the last week with kids coming in and so forth and my brother-in-law with us. And I uh, wanted to greet Wendy at the curb, so I parked and uh, went to the curb. And all of us with the baby and everybody were waiting on the curb. And one of the officers came up and said, can I help you find something? And I said, uh, no, we're, you know, we're just waiting on an arriving guest. And he said, oh, well, you can go wait in by baggage claim. And I said, well, no, I don't want to wear a mask because they're dangerous. I'd rather just wait right here if that's okay. And he said, oh, sure, you guys can wait on the curb. But now he knows, you know. Um, so I think the more that people hear that, it's going to eventually at least raise question marks in their mind. So, by the way, you made me think of something mentioning the, gun, the Americans being gun owners. One of my sessions I said, it might have been the last one, I made the comment how we're the only country that allows its citizens to own guns. And that's one of the hate mail emails I got. Someone called me a liar. Um, I probably was being hyperbolic, but I certainly know of all the first world major developing countries in the world, we're the only one that does. There may be some Timbuktu little known country somewhere that the people can own guns. Who knows? I didn't actually do the research, but clearly to any thinking person that, that knows what's going on in the world, our gun ownership stands alone. That was my point. So, yeah. Do you see any correlation to the excessive spending by the current administration, or you are spending money like they're doing tomorrow, do you see any correlation with the satanic resets and? Yeah, there, I do see a correlation between the spending money. I don't think it's this administration. I think it's just typical uh, government. Remember, Trump's the one that gave away trillions of dollars to Big Pharma to create the vaccine. It might be the Chinese virus, but it's the Trump vaccine. Let's not forget that. Um, he's the one that created Operation Warp Speed and put the former board member from Moderna in charge of it. But anyway, um, I do think they're, they're throwing money at all of the globalist companies. They're giving more and more money to Big Pharma and to you know, other groups and, and corporations. And uh, I think, you know, we're way past, you know, economic stability. We are living on 
borrowed time and have been for many, many, many years. So it's really a matter of when the globalists decide to, to tip the scales. And at that point, it'll crash. But it's not like, you know, something we're doing with the fiat currency and just creating money out of thin air is going to somehow reach a tipping point. It's already reached a tipping point. It's like the cars already burst through the side rail and going over the mountain. And then somehow they've kind of grabbed it and are holding it. And when they're ready for the economic collapse, which will be one of the things that ushers in the new world order, they'll let it go. So I don't, I don't, to me, I mean, it gets my attention. I, I see it, but it, I don't think it's, you know, you can't get any worse than the worst. It's already at the worst, I mean, our, our economic situation. So I thought someone had a hand over here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think they're definitely uh, getting ready for something. We see a lot of chatter about that in terms of some type of uh, martial law or something in, in response to civil unrest. But notice one of the things I said was foment, division, divide, and conquer. They're doing that in the military too. See, the military is divided right now. It's less unified than it's ever been. There are true patriotic God-fearing, constitutional-loving servicemen and women who will not turn on their own citizens, and, but there are a whole host that will. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And I think one of the reasons they're implementing this vaccine mandate is there is a correlation between people who don't want to get the experimental bioinjection and people who are patriotic and truth-loving and so forth. And so they know that by doing that, they're going to purge the military of a lot of they're what they perceive to be problem soldiers. Um, not all of them, but many of them. So I think we're seeing this divide and conquer mentality everywhere. You're seeing it in families. You're seeing it in companies. You're seeing it in you know, black-white racial issues, uh, critical race theory. You're seeing it everywhere, and it's intended to you know, destabilize us and, and cause, us, uh, cause our downfall. Yeah, Randy. Something I might add. <clears throat> January 6th. Probably a dry run and a dress rehearsal for what's going to happen. The U.S. government, the federal troops, cannot intervene in any type of war or action in the United States unless the Posse Comitatus Act or the Insurrection Act is instituted. To do that, there has to be such a military general emergency that there is nobody else to handle. January 6th, you saw that the local police departments, the National Guard, really did not have control. 
they are putting that out there, what they're thinking about. When whatever is going to happen, happens, I think that you will find that it is actually uniformed federal military that will be enforcing the law. They will invoke one of those two acts, and everybody else is going to be locked in your house. You're going nowhere. And I can tell you it's probably coming sooner than you want to think. Yeah, and uh, so the two acts, Insurrection Act and the what? Posse Comitatus. Yeah. So January 6th, uh, you know, they had, depending on whose reports you listen to, anywhere from 10,000 to 50,000 National Guard troops there. I know people that were stationed there, uh, but it was a stand-down order. That's the reason they did, you know, they, they never intended for them to do anything. Um, my uh, one friend that I know was guarding a dog park with 20 soldiers. He said the entire time they were there, over two or three weeks, they had one dog. That per person brought one dog to the dog park. Otherwise, they were just sitting there, <laughs> you know. So it was a stand down. Or in the military, war college all has taught for decades the the uh, stand down and false flag as techniques. And so, uh, so yeah, I think that they're going to have to do something. That's why I put this up here as a possibility. Is I think they're going to do something that creates fear and 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 makes makes it where most Americans are okay with the military doing you know the unthinkable so all right yes Right, right. Yeah, so the question is about the problem of shedding among the vaccinated, and particularly as it relates to fertility. You mentioned the female fertility. It also affects male, and we did talk about that quite a bit in the last session when I talked about the dangers of the bioinjection. Uh, but, yeah, there are a lot of doctors out there sounding the alarm, Dr. Judy, Dr. Lee Merritt, uh, who we got to hear in person. Uh, a lot of resources on her website, which is drleemerritt.com. She has another URL too, but it, they both go to the same place. Uh, a lot of stuff in there about fertility and you know protecting yourself from that. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's it's definitely a worth uh, thinking about. I, th I think you know if you you know are concerned about that, I would definitely not be rubbing up against and big, big, you know, sloppy hugs with people that you know are vaccinated. I, just to put it bluntly, I just wouldn't do it. Um, I don't think, given the nature of this virus, that it's something that, and I'm not a medical doctor, by the way, so check with your doctor, but it doesn't, from what I've researched, it doesn't sound like it's something that, you know, someone walks past you 20 feet away that's vaccinated, somehow it's something's going to land on you that could cause harm, but there's definitely, it's proven fact that they're shedding and you know I would be concerned but I would check uh, Lee Merritt's side on that all right well thank you guys you guys are awesome for sticking around um, and those of you that are part of kind of the preparedness team here at Plum Creek Chapel if you want to stick around a bit and uh, uh, we can 
talk about anything that needs to be addressed. And if you would like one of these signs, come see me. Like I said, I've got some, or you can get them online at notbyworks.org. And uh, that's, we produce those, by the way, in partnership with Christian Underground News Network. I think I failed to mention that. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys, and have a good rest of the week.